He died for you. He died for me. From our sin, He set us free. He loved us so. His life He gave. So if we ask, we can be saved. Hello, I'm Rick Hurtless, founder of His Gospel Power. Thank you for joining with us on today's program. I want to stay with First Peter. The third chapter, right at the end here, the 22nd verse, for just a moment, we've really come all the way through the third chapter, but we've gotten down to uh, the 22nd verse that says, to talk about Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And I want to take just a moment, because I've heard a preacher say, that Jesus is not on the earth with us. He is at the right hand of the Father. Well, I agree with that because that's what the Word says. It says it right here, that He is at God's right hand with the angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. However, if we believe that God is omnipresent, which means He's everywhere all at the same time, and if we believe that Jesus is God, because according to John 1.1, Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so that is Jesus. And so if we believe that, and of course the Holy Spirit we know is omnipresent, God is omnipresent, and if Jesus is God, then He must be omnipresent. That means that He is not only at the right hand of the Father, but He is with us as well. Now, He guides us through the power of His Holy Spirit. Now, this is where it gets very confusing. I'm not going to try to explain this, but I do want to take just a moment to to touch on that because, because it is not like we are praying to some distant God who is up on His throne and we have to wait in line. It is not like that at all. It is God hears every one of our prayers all at the same time. Did you get that? Billions of people on the planet, those of us who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, have the opportunity to pray to God directly because of the priesthood of the believer, because we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, as we've already studied, as we studied about uh, just a few weeks ago. We have the opportunity and uh, to, and the obligation, I think, to, to, to some degree, to go straight to God and talk to Him, but we don't have to wait in line. We can talk to him about every little thing. We can have a conversation about God. Billions of Christians on the planet can talk to him all at the same time. And, of course, we don't know how many uh, actual Christians there are on the planet. Maybe hundreds of millions. Remember, the the Bible says that the, the gate to salvation is narrow and wide is the pathway to destruction. So it sounds like the majority of the people are not saved, more than likely. So we have to go with the narrow gate. But still, that would be millions or hundreds of millions of people on this planet speaking to God at the same time, and he answers every single one of us all at the same time. How does that work? I don't know. Okay? I'm not God. I know it works because he's omnipresent. He, he's omniscient. He's all uh, He's all powerful. He's all-knowing. Uh He's everywhere all at the same time. So I know that because of what the Word tells me. And so can I explain that? No, because if I could explain that, then I could explain God, and that makes me as powerful as Him. 
And so I don't want to even have to. I want the mysteries of God. I want to know that there's mysteries, that there are things that I cannot understand, or I become the same as God. And then, of course, I know I'm not. And so I don't, I don't have to worry about trying to do that. But what I do need to, to tell you is, is that even though Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, he is also in your heart at the same time. He's at the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember what this also said, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And so as that Holy Spirit comes into us, then we can converse with God directly through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of God, which is also the Spirit of Jesus, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, dwells in us. And so it's very important for us to understand that this is not a deal to where we have to wait in line to talk to Jesus or get up to the prince so we can talk to the king. This is where we can talk directly to God through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And, Pastor, the way I like to look at it as how God is omnipotent and has power to control the entire universe at one time, he isn't bound by the restrictions of, of time or space or matter that we are restricted by. He could do whatever he wants. He could stop time and handle whatever he wants. He could readjust the matter. But how I like to look at it is, if God is all-powerful, he could basically be looking at our universe in like the palm of his hand. And to him, we're so minute that from the outside looking in like he is, it's just we're just a tiny little space. We're looking at it from the, the inside out, where we see everything outside of us. So we see it in, in a reverse order to me. So to him, we're small. To us, we, he's large, which is, it's accurate. It's the way it should be. I think people try to look at God and put him from our point of view, where they think, well, if God's here, then look at everything that he has to deal with. No, he's looking at it the opposite way, where he's on the outside looking at, well, I've got this small little thing that I have to deal with. So if you look at God from his point of view, where everything is small that he can control, instead of trying to put him in our role, where everything to us is large, it, it does make it easier to understand his full power. And when you think about it, that he created everything, it's almost like a, I hate to simplify it too much, but it's like a child with a toy. A child with a toy, that child has full control over that toy and what happens with it. Or, uh, because my kids love Legos, they build a little Lego scene and they have full control over what goes on in it. It's the same way with God. He created the us and the universe. He can control everything that goes on. It's within his power. I'm sure to that little, the minifigure, we, my son would look humongous almost like a god and so we have to look at it from from the reverse role of where is god and where are we instead of trying to put god where we are and we try to think about it from god's point of view well actually everybody's uh puts god in a box they put him in their own box some boxes are bigger than others but we all have god in some kind of a box i think some kind of constraints on god and in fact there is no constraints on God. Those who seem to do the, the miraculous in our life are those who have a much bigger box. And and I think, though, even those guys 
have a certain box that he's in. It may be a box as big as the earth. It's still a box. There's, there's something that you keep your, you keep your God. And I, I, I'm going to say that, say it like this. You keep your God in the, in your size box. And of course, I know that, uh, Yahweh, Jesus Christ and, and in the Holy Spirit is all, I know that they're all powerful God. But what I'm saying is when you, the God that you worship, even as a Christian, you have placed him in a box, a certain size box, that he can only do so much because that's all really you'll allow him to do. Now, there are times when you try to push that envelope of that box and God answers that. But then, maybe out of fear or maybe out of unbelief, the next time you run to some sort of a crisis, you put him back in that other box until you continue to push and push and push and your box expands a little bit because now you've seen how mighty your God is that he's bigger than that box you had him in before. So now let's take him and put him in this size box. And in fact, what needs to be happening is take all of the boxes away and know that God is in control and can answer your your biggest prayer. He can answer that. According to his will, he can answer your largest prayer. If you want to do a ministry that costs millions of dollars and you don't see how it can happen, you pray to God and continue to get into his will and that that is nothing for God. It is nothing for him to be to be able to do that. Um also I want to take it in the reverse. There are many out there that do not come to God very often because they're afraid that what their request is is too small. God, I've got a little splinter in my finger. I don't need to go to God for that. I can take care of that. Well, and that may be some truth to that. But it might not hurt to say, Lord, help me get this splinter out quickly. It might not hurt to um, just the, the little, the problem that you might think, you know, I can't pay my electric bill this week. Well, I don't want to take that to God because that's just too small for him. I'll figure out how to work out how to pay my electric bill myself. No, God wants you to come to him. Be as a little child. When you are as a little child, if you skin your knee right now as an adult, do you go running to your mother or father? Hopefully not. You you jump up and you say, "Oh, I skinned my knee." You wipe off the blood or you whatever. You get back up and you go and you continue on. But a little child, when they skin their knee, we know it's nothing. We know it's just a matter of taking a, a damp rag or a towel and wiping the blood away, and it'll scab over and it'll be just fine. We know that. But see, it's big to those children, and so they come to us and they want us to help them. With that skin knee, it is the same with us. When you fall down on something, and it's it, even though it seems small, God still wants you to come so He can wipe the blood away, so that He can He can uh, put the 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 bandage on it, so He might be able to put on the bandage, so He can console you. No problem is too small for God. God wants to hear from you. He desires to hear from you. He loves to hear from you, and that even includes. Maybe when you have nothing wrong except get up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord. It's a great day. I love you. And I want to be with you now for a time. And make that time five minutes at first, maybe, or 10 minutes, and then 15, and then 20. And the next thing you know, maybe an hour, you're with God and you are conversing with God and see how much better your day goes because of that. Well, Pastor, you, I think you put it perfectly without saying it. Why would I pray to God for the small little things? Well, let me answer that with 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. 
Because what happens when you do something over and over and over again? Repetition creates success. So if you're praying for the small things, when it comes to the big things, you're already practiced up on how to pray. So why would God say pray without ceasing? Why wouldn't he say save your prayers for the things that need me? Because he knew that if you practice in the small things, when it comes to the large things, you already know how to do it. Exactly. And so, and in fact, more than that, as you pray the small things and you see them answered, it, it continues to bolster your faith. It, it continues to show you that God really does care. When you pray about the, the uh, little small bill that you can't pay and God meets the need, it's like, wow, he does care. He is there. He, he helped me take care of this. He does care. With no matter what it is uh, that happens in your life, as it comes up and you begin to pray and then God answers that, it makes your faith grow. And as your faith grows, your box gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, I'd like to say that we don't have a box, but I know better. I know that everybody has whatever size box that they have put their God in. And, and in fact, the true living God has no box. We try to keep cramming him in there by especially, you know, a lot of churches and a lot of uh, traditional uh, denominations over the years have said, well, God can no longer do this or that or the other thing. God can no longer do miraculous powers or healings or or God can no longer give prophets or God can no longer give apostles. Um, you know, we no longer need evangelists, whatever that it is that you have said God can no longer do. You're basically saying that, even if you're not saying it, if you're saying God no longer gives prophets, basically you're saying he can't do that anymore. Because, And that's not true. God gives prophets. He gives apostles. He gives evangelists. He gives those, according to the scripture, it has not stopped. And we are limiting the power of God. We're limiting what we will see God do in our lives. We're limiting what he might do in your family and in this state and in this country and in this world because you have placed him in a box and told him what he can and cannot do. And what's going to happen is he's still going to do it. He's just going to go over and find someone who really wants to to work with him and, and do what he wants them to do and allows him to get out of the box. Well, I think those people are somewhat accurate, and you're going to understand why when I say it. When they say, well, God can't do this, or God has limitations, in their lives, they're right, because God won't do it, because they won't allow him. So, I guess you could say God does have limitations, based off what you let him do. If you don't put restrictions on God, then he's free to act how he wants to in your life. But if you put him in a box, and I, I know what you were saying earlier about those those preachers that their box may be as big as the world but we still have to remember we're bound by human limitations if they knew like you said everything about god then they would be like god so no matter how spiritual you are there is still a little limitation on our understanding of god to be able to know exactly what god can do so when you said that i'm like yeah that it's understandable it's almost impossible to completely let God act because we don't know exactly all the ramifications of God. But a lot of people have found out how to pretty much let God run free in their lives to do what he wants. 
But then there are the others that say, well, God can't do this. He can't do that. That's only because you're not letting him do it. So God does have limitations on the individual, but it's your fault that the limitation is there. And make no mistake now, when I say God can't do it in your life if you put him in a box, what I don't mean, I don't really mean he can't. Because really, if he wanted to, he'd push right on through, okay? But according to the scripture I read, he never chooses to do that. He chooses a person that he wants to use, and then if they do not want to be used, he moves on to the next person. He doesn't He doesn't um, stay around and try to force his will on them. He asked them what, you know, he asked them to do something. Now, he makes it pretty plain, like as it would maybe with Moses and with Noah, and he makes it pretty plain. Look, yeah, I really, you're going to do this because, you know, I, after you understand, you're going to do this. But he doesn't really, he does give them the, the option to say no. Now, that's not going to be a really good option to say no to God, but he gives the option. To say no, and then he will use someone else. God tends to do that. And in some cases, maybe with Jonah or Moses. Okay, you can use both of those because both of Moses said, Hey, I can't do this. I don't talk so good. I just came. They just kicked me out of there. What do you mean you're sending me back? Hey, I'm not going back there. They just kicked me out. Now, God can be pretty persuasive. And the same with, uh, with Jonah. He said, well, now you don't want to do this. Okay, fine. And he's, you know, and then you're, okay, then here's your alternative. And he put him in the belly of a big fish. Well, okay, so God can be pretty persuasive. He knows how he wants to get his message out. But the, the point is that he's not going to pressure, pressure, pressure you. Once you have rejected what he got, does not mean you're rejecting God. I'm saying you've rejected the assignment. He will drop it and, and go to someone else and they'll get the blessing. That's the, that's the bottom line here. Is that then they received the blessing that you could have had if all you would have done is said yes. Yes, and I think when you like the story of Jonah and other stories like that, they had not rejected God; they just were hesitant, and they needed that extra little encouragement. Now Jonah's what his was a little, or pretty, pretty drastic. Yeah, he was pretty drastic, but I think God knew that. He was willing, but he was hesitant because of the situation he was going into. So having to to stay in the belly of the, the whale for three days, you could almost look at it as it, if he, when he came out of it, he looked at that and goes, wow, if I could have survived that, I can survive whatever Nineveh is going to be giving me. So sometimes God put tests us or prepares us ahead of time with a struggle before he puts us in the actual battle that he's putting us into, because sometimes if he threw us straight into a battle, we might not be prepared for it. So he gives us these small tests ahead of time, so that when we finally get to the battle, it's it's that much easier because we've already been preparing for it. And then when he when we look back, we can go, oh, I God knew what was coming, so he got me ready for it. And of course, in the case of Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew of God's mercy and he knew if the people would repent that God would forgive them and he wanted them wiped out because they were the enemies of Israel. So he wanted them wiped out. He didn't want them to be forgiven. He wanted them to be gone. So he was not so much afraid uh, with the with the case of Jonah. He was not so much afraid what the Ninevites might do to him. He was afraid 
that God would forgive the Ninevites and would not do what he said he was going to do, which was going to wipe them out. And of course, those of us who know the story, Nineveh repented, which is the capital of Assyria, by the way, and Nineveh repented, and uh, and then, of course, God did not wipe them out right away. Uh, many years later, they started going back into their degradation, and then God finally did wipe them out, but the but that point of that is is that that Jonah was not being obedient to God because he was afraid of uh, that God would save these people and maybe you've done the same thing. I don't want to pray for this guy; he's my enemy. And what if he repents? Well, and if, in fact, probably if he repents and he's your enemy, you're going to find out he's probably the best friend you've ever had. That's the funny thing about God. That's how that's how that works. So that's many times I think we don't want to pray for our enemies. Because we're afraid, he deserves what he's getting. He deserves to be wiped out, or, or he deserves to go to jail, or he deserves whatever. Maybe this guy uh, did harm to your family, or whatever. Well, he I don't want to pray for him. He might get forgiven, and he deserves the other. Well, you know what? So do you. You deserve hell. You do not deserve heaven. Because you are unrighteous man without Jesus Christ. So you deserve to live apart from God because you're unrighteous. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, now you are righteous. And that is the only reason why you have heaven. Otherwise, you wouldn't deserve to go to heaven either. There is one lesson that, and it goes along the story of Jonah, like you said, that I have tried to teach my kids. And unfortunately, I've had to try to teach adults too. When you're angry at somebody and they don't know it, who does that anger hurt? It only hurts you. So so like you were saying, Jonah wanted the people of Nineveh to be destroyed. They didn't know he knew that. He was the one with all the animosity in his heart. So it was only hurting him. And I try to tell my kids that and some adults that when you get angry at your brother or sister for something that they did, who are you hurting? You're not hurting them. It's because feelings are all inside of you. Now, if they take it out on them, that's another story. But the the thought of anger only hurts the person that has it, or jealousy, or rage. And if you pray for a situation, like for a person to be saved, like your enemy, think about what would happen if they did get saved, and they became your friend. Your anger would be gone. The strife between you two would be gone, and you wouldn't have to worry about all this this moral or mental conflict that you have. So, yes, I I, complete, I understand. It's completely natural to be human and want someone to pay for something that they did wrong to you. But think about it: if they were, if you were able to resolve that situation, both your lives would be easier from that point forward instead of the satisfaction you might feel momentarily if you saw them get their their justice. And really that brings us to our next verse, because of chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his, life, his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather the will of God. And so as you have been, as you are forgiven others, then you will be forgiven as well. 
as you continue, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do. You see, the pagans, they, they, they hate their enemy. Remember what Jesus said? He said, if you forgive your brother, well, what have you done? You haven't done anything because ever, even the heathens will do that. Even the pagans will do that. He says, but now I'm saying forgive your enemy. Well, th- that's not natural. What do you mean forgive my enemy? He hurt me. I want him to suffer. And that's not what God says to do. He says that we should forgive those so that we do not live like the pagans any longer. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. In other words, they're given the opportunity to accept the forgiveness of God because of what you tell them, which is the gospel. But even those who you may not, who you may detest should be given the gospel. It doesn't matter how they are living right now. They must be given the gospel. And then they choose. And then, of course, if they choose something different than God, then they will choose an eternity away from God, which is hell. And so, and that's what this is. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. And I believe that he, even though he's talking about Jesus actually going and preaching to the dead, he's talking to us also. Those who are spiritually dead right now, we should still preach the gospel to them so that they might become alive in Jesus Christ. And that's what this scripture is also. It's really kind of a double meaning. Because we are to preach to those who are dead in their sin, and we are to preach to them, give them the gospel, so that they might be alive in Jesus Christ. One of the things I see in this scripture, Pastor, why would people that are in sin attack Christians? Well, if we can look at a a modern day example, look at Black Lives Matters, Antifa, all these other satanic groups out there. Why do they attack people that are that are trying to do good? Because we won't join them in their sinful desires because they look at us as, well, they want to hold us accountable. So in in ver, 1 Peter 4, 4, it says, They surprised you, or they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. Yeah, and that's exactly it. They're surprised that we don't want to have fun with them. So they get offended. So what happens when people get offended? They They lash out. They lash out. It's really more of a conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because wait a minute, I want you to join me in my debauchery so I don't feel so bad about myself. Exactly. And that's what it is. And that's why all these groups are on such a rise because... They have no accountability to God. Well, in their minds, they they aren't accountable to God. So those that are, that reject their worldly desires, they get offended by. And they lash out at us because we're the ones trying to do good. Wait a minute. Clarify what you said a second ago. You said they're not accountable to God? Uh, 
Well, in their minds. Oh, they're in their minds. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yeah, because I, I don't want to get our listeners confused. No, no, not in, their, in their minds, they're not accountable to anybody. Right. In fact, probably in their minds, they're doing what's right. Well, I, I think they're so twisted in their head. They but that's probably, what I'm they saying. In their minds, that. they think they're doing what's right. I think that in the Bible, I think it even it gives legs to that. It says in the last days that there will be those who think that they're doing good for God and they're doing evil. And I think that's what's going on a lot in our world right now, whether it be with Black Lives Matter or even Satan, for that matter, for the, the Satanists, uh, that they think they're doing good for their God, you know, so everything's going to be good because he's going to be powerful in the end and he's going to win, according to them. But we're not talking about good versus evil. Christianity is not good versus evil. And in fact, forget about Christianity. That's Christianity is a religion. Let's put it to this. Our God is not good versus evil. This is not the force. This is not the evil force and the good force coming against each other and maybe evil can win. And, and if the force, if the good force doesn't win. No, we have all, God is already won. Satan has already lost because our God is all-powerful, and he is good, but he's all-powerful, and he has already lost. He knows that. He is very limited in his power. It says throughout the word many places that he has only a few things he can do, and he has to ask God to do those. And so he, we know that he has lost, and he knows it. So this is not good versus evil. This is allowing all of you to make your decision to where you want to spend eternity. That's really what we're talking about. Yeah, we we as Christians don't have to wait for the the third trilogy to end. That's right. We are we already know how the, we, the we movies know, end. We know the end. We know the end. We're watching it. Uh, basically, we're watching it backwards. We we right. know how it ends, That's right. and now we're just seeing how all we're the parts are towards that. That's right. right, we're just seeing how all the parts are filling in from That's the right. end now. That's right. And Satan, well, Satan's doing the same thing. He well, he knows how it's going to end, so he's trying to rewrite the movie backwards so that he can take as many with him as he can because he knows in the end. That's the only thing he's going to have is however many minds he can twist to exactly. his agenda. And so, and so that's the evil mind anyway is misery loves company. It has nothing to do with how much they would care about another individual. If it did, Satan wouldn't want anybody to go with him because he knows exactly where he's going. He doesn't want them to come. Well, that's the end of today's program. Thank you for joining with us. Please, if you would like to go to our website, hisgospelpower.org, you can listen to today's program and listen to all of the archives as well. And if you would like to donate to our program, please do so by going to hisgospelpower.org, click on Donate, or you can download the apps, iTunes, and on Google and be able to listen to us on a daily basis through your app on your telephone. Thank you for listening to our program. Until next time, I pray you receive His Gospel Power today. My life was flying by I always wondered why I was so empty deep within But then you came to me let my spirit see, and you forgave me of my sin. I live again today, your love has shown the way. I hear you calling me, I love you. And though my heart was stained, your loving blood poured.
ran with all my heart and soul. But faithful you 